Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Would you turn in the scriptures to Mark chapter 2 with me? Good to see you. God bless you. Thank you for being here. If you're joining us online, uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us this weekend. In the early 1900s, there was a phrase that began to emerge, and the phrase is, through the roof. It's an old phrase. You've probably heard the phrase in different contexts and conversations, and and certainly now we're in a season of things going through the roof, from gas prices to eggs, to happy meals, to interest rates, to rent, to mortgages, to NFL salaries. (laughs) My salary's not gone through the roof. I'm not sure about yours. It's a season where things are going through the roof. And now we're in the season here in the Phoenix metro where the temperatures, say it with me, they are going through the roof. There was a story in Mark chapter 2, and, and, and it, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful story, and it involves activity of through the roof. Mark chapter 2, verse 1, the scripture says that when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Let me stop. This is an interesting idea because Capernaum was a a prominent fishing village north of the Sea of Galilee and had a population probably of around 1,500 people at the time of Jesus. And it is believed that about 40% of the original 12 disciples were either from Capernaum or from that area. What's more important is that Capernaum, I might just call it the Cape from here on out because it's not an easy word to pronounce, was kind of the the, the home base, if you will. It was the adopted city of Jesus. In fact, according to the New Testament uh, in the Cape, uh, Jesus preached more messages there and he performed more miracles there than any other city as recorded in the New Testament. Also, what's interesting about the Cape is this. It is one of three cities that Jesus cursed because of their spiritual indifference. John MacArthur says this about Capernaum. He says, Jesus' teaching perhaps mildly interested them and his miracles entertained them, but nothing more. His grace never rent their hearts. His truth never changed their minds. His warning about sin never provoked repentance. And his offer of salvation never induced faith. And because of their indifferent unbelief, Jesus said to them, and this is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 11, I say to you that it shall be no more tolerable for the land of Sodom and the day of judgment than for you. So that's kind of the spiritual tenor of the cape. Spiritual indifference, if you will. It's Jesus' adopted hometown. Many of us understand that idea that live here in the Phoenix. We've come from different parts of the country, and, and we've kind of adopted this as our town. So we understand the concept. And so 
So this spiritual indifference seems to be kind of a, a, a tenor in, in Capernaum, but, but something incredible happens there. In the midst of the spiritual indifference and, and, and in the midst of this apathetic approach to the life of Jesus, something incredible happens. Let's read on. Verse 2 through verse 5, the Scripture says that soon the house where he was staying, that's probably a reference to Peter's house, was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him into the house because of the crowd. This was pre-COVID, by the way. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head, and then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. And notice the next three words of verse 5, seeing their faith. Say that with me, seeing their faith. As I, as I see that phrase, I begin to wonder, well, what, what kind of faith are we talking about? What was going on with these four men that, that I could glean and, and, and learn about my own faith? And I think, I mean, I, I think it's a faith that is a convinced faith. I mean, I believe these four men are fully convinced that Jesus is who he says he is. Fully convinced. But beyond that, I think it's also a, it's a caring faith, right? They're compassionate. Why, whether this man is a friend, he's an acquaintance, he's a relative, they, they take a compassionate moment, and it is a faith that, that moves this man closer to Jesus. So it, they care. It's a caring faith. And then it's a creative faith, is it not? They show up, again, likely Peter's house. There's a crowd, standing room only. They cannot get into to Peter's house, and so one or two or somebody said, hey, I have an idea. You have that person in your life, right? Hey, I have an idea. And the idea was to carry the man on his mat, right, to the top of the, of the roof. We understand first century architecture. It's a flat roof. And so somebody says, let's take him there and let's dig a hole. And it's just Peter's house. Let's do it. And so they, they, they dig a hole or remove tile, one or the other, in Peter's house. And they're, they're super creative. And, and can you imagine Peter? Right? He's like, you guys are going to Venmo me, Vin me after this is over. And I can hear Jesus saying, I, I got this one. So it's, it's a creative faith. And then it's a courageous faith. Super courageous, risk-taking faith. Public expression of faith in Christ. Think about this. As they lower the man down to where Jesus is preaching the word to the crowd, it's likely they understand he's not coming up as he went down. Think about the, the courage of this faith. Think about the risk that these four men are taking. It's a huge risk. And beyond that, they've interrupted the message of Jesus. I don't encourage that, right? They've interrupted Jesus. They've made a mess of Peter's house. They've lowered the man down. And one of two things are going to happen. That man is walking out healed or they got to go in and get him and carrying him out, embarrassed and shameful. I mean, I see these four characteristics of their faith. And, and Jesus, was, he was motivated by their faith, seeing their faith. He doesn't say that about the crowd. He sees that in these four men. Here's what I've learned in my journey, is that expectant faith is the context for miracles. Expectant 
faith, courageous faith, risk-taking faith is the context for miracles. Let's pick it up in the second part of verse 5. Jesus sees their faith. Now look what happens. Jesus says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. That is a radical statement. That is such a radical statement. I don't think we can connect to it, but Jesus says, son or my child, your sins are forgiven. Think about this. Jesus begins with the man's spiritual condition, does he not? He begins at the spiritual condition of the man. This is super important to begin to understand that forgiveness of sins is still one of the greatest miracles Jesus is performing today. It's an incredible miracle. They lower the man. Jesus, the first thing he says is, my child or my son, your sins are forgiven. What if you're one of the four? You're like, oh, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. What, this, is not what we, this is not how we saw this playing out. We brought him here for a, for a physical healing, but Jesus begins with the spiritual need of forgiveness. It is our greatest need. Now, the plot thickens quite a bit. Look with me in verses 6 through 7. Uh, but some of the teachers of the religious law, they were sitting there. And look, look at what the Bible says. And they thought to themselves. Have you ever thought out loud? Have you ever thought something and it came out and somebody heard maybe what the thought was and you said, oh, I wish that hadn't have slipped out? Religious leaders are there, Peter's house, right? Packed crowd. Jesus now is in the mode of forgiving the man's sins. The religious leaders see this. They see this, and they think something to themselves. Notice what they think. Look at what the passage says. They, they say, some of the teachers sitting there, and they thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. It is likely that the religious leaders didn't even believe that the Messiah could forgive sin. Only God. God, and they are thinking this man is blaspheming. Blasphemy means to to disrespect. It means to speak evil of. It means to slander. So they they think this. Check this out. Look with me in verses 8 through 10. Jesus knew. Say that with me. Jesus knew. What did he know about these religious leaders? He knew what they were thinking. What a sober thought. What are you thinking right now? What are you thinking? You're thinking something. You know that thought. Is it also a little bit sobering and humbling to think that Jesus also knows (laughs) that thought? That's a little bit of a frightening proposition, is it not? Sure. He, he knows what they're thinking. Now, look at what happens. He doesn't let it slide. So Jesus asked the religious leaders, hey, why do you guys question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? Which is easier? Notice verse 10. It's a powerful verse. So Jesus said, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive 
sins. Oh, my goodness. Oh, the room, the, the, the tension in Peter's house, it just got really thick. It, it's as if Jesus is implying now that he has the authority to forgive sins? Jesus says the Son of Man has authority. Now, this phrase, Son of Man, uh, it's quite frankly the most often used phrase of Jesus about himself. When he self-identifies, generally the Son of Man is the top phrase that he uses. Now, and we understand that. We're like, well, it's identification with us, right? There's an element of humility with that. There's an element of connecting to humanity, but, but it's much deeper than that. It's much deeper. So, for example, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's having this vision. Notice what the prophet says here. He says, as my vision continued that night, I saw someone like the Son of Man. Coming in the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient One and was led into his presence. He was given, say it with me, authority. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never, ever be destroyed. John MacArthur says there is no question that this reference in Daniel to the Son of Man is to the Messiah, Christ himself. So while Son of Man is a connection with us, it's also a connection to Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ. In fact, in the book of Mark, we won't turn there, but in the book of Mark, chapter 14, verse 62, Jesus quotes a portion of this verse about himself. So the conversation turns here. Jesus is like the Son of Man has authority. The plot thickens. Now, now look what happens in verses in verse 11. The Scripture says, Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now the four guys are really excited, right? They're like, hey, this is how this whole thing unfolded anyway. This is how we saw this thing going. So Jesus turns to the man, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Now notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Who could possibly know if the man's sins were actually forgiven? No one, right? I, you could say that to me. I could say that to you. There seems to be no verifiable evidence. There's no test, no visible verification, if you will, that a person's sins have been forgiven. Is that fair to say? Sure. So Jesus is like, well, so let me show you my authority. This is when he tells the man, I want you to stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. The physical restoration, the physical restoration was proof of the spiritual restoration in the man's life. You see that? The physical restoration was proof of the spiritual resurrection. Look at verse 12. This is kind of the end of the story. This is the celebration. The guys are like, hey, we don't have to go in. <laughs> like, we thought we were going in, man. We don't have to go into Peter's house. Look at what happens, verse 12. And the man jumped up. He grabbed his mat, and he walked out through the stunned onlookers. I love the way the NLT translates that, the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, and they praised God, and they made the exclamation, we have never seen anything like this before. I guess not. 
I guess not. There's the celebration. Here's why that the men went through this. Here's the, here's the reason that they went through the roof. It's for this moment of celebration. And if he's a friend, he's a relative, he's an acquaintance, he's a neighbor. But what I want us to understand is that our faith in Christ facilitates others to get up, pick up, and walk into the future that God has for them. I want you to see that. It was their faith, Jesus seeing their faith, facilitated not only his forgiveness, but the ability to come to the man and say, get up, pick up, and walk into the future that God has for you. That was facilitated by the men's faith, the four men. It's a powerful idea. And and I just want to say this right here. I was told years ago that your best friend is the friend that makes you better. It's catchy. But how about this? Let's take it a step deeper. Our closest friends are the friends who move us closer to Christ. Our closest friends are the friends who move us closer to Jesus. The -the through-the-roof kind of friends. Man, I've had a lot of these in in my life, in my journey. Some are are, are a part of this church and a part of other ministries that I've been, been in. Kind of those close friends who move you closer to Jesus. Do you have someone like this in your life? They encourage you when, when you're around them. They're like, man, you're just like, you're a little more on fire for Jesus than when you were when you ran into them. Do you have somebody like that? If not, you, you, you got to find somebody. You have to find someone. So I've had a lot of people in my life that have been that for me. My family's been a big part of that. But I just wanted to share one, one cat that's been that for me for well over 20 years. And uh, he's a friend of mine named Kevin Phillips. I call him KP. And he's been that guy in my life. Kevin is the guy, he's the friend you had in high school that your mom warned you about. He's the friend when you left and you guys and you gals were going to go do something, you knew when you got back home, if you got back home, you would have a great story to tell. You ever had that friend? You're like, I don't know what's going to happen. It will not be boring. It's going to be a great story, and we're likely going to get in some type of trouble. Do you have that friend? Do you, nobody have that friend? Yeah, you, you have that friend. You have the friend. I'm thinking about Gregory had that friend in high school. He had that friend. When you knew when they were together, something was going to happen. That's been Kevin in my life. So to the far left is a guy named Marvin. He is, uh, he is the guy in the blue. He's in law enforcement in, in Arkansas. The guy on the far right in the white, white shirt, his name is Casey Patton. He was our youth pastor when we pastored in Oklahoma. Uh, the guy in the middle with the kind of the uh, teal shirt, that's Kevin. That's KP mixing up some popcorn here. And uh, the homeboy in the back is yours truly taking down a Coke. This is a picture taken uh, in a mission house uh, in, in Nepal. And this is my first trip there, and, and, and Kevin invited me. He's like, you got to go. You gotta. And when he said that, I'd just been to Haiti with him, where on the team we had a pretty good fist fight breakout. So I'm like, well, maybe I should go. And so it, it's one of those trips where it was pretty much a disaster, missed flights, 
Uh, there was actually a pretty good rock fight in the local leper colony. Uh, always a good story. But Kevin has been the guy that's invited me into the hard, risk-taking, I can't believe we're doing this, is this legal type of kingdom stuff. I would call it a kingdom pickle. You've been in a pickle? It's kind of a kingdom pickle when someone invites you into something, you're thinking, well, what, how, what, what, why am I here? What's going on here? I got to get out of this. Every time you're around KP, to some degree, you feel like you're in a little bit of a, what we would call a kingdom pickle. You're a little fearful. It's going to cost you some money. It may cost you a little bit of time, effort. But as I think about that friend, the close friend who's moved me closer to Christ, he's one example. And every time I think back on those times we've been together and some of these things that we've had the opportunity to do throughout my lifetime, I, 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 I've never, ever regretted it one time, ever. Our closest friends are the friends who move us closer to Christ. It's what we see in the story, right? We don't know who the guy is. Relative, friend, neighbor, boss, we don't know. We don't know if it's his mat. We don't know if it's someone else's mat. We just know there are four guys. That, like, there's Jesus is teaching at Peter's house. We're going. We got to go. Just a couple takeaways. Number one, let's understand that forgiveness is our greatest need. It is our greatest need. It's where Jesus begins in the story. He begins with forgiveness. Jesus starts at our greatest need, and that is forgiveness. Peter talks about this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. He says, repent and believe. Receive forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness is our greatest need. The second thing that I see, and I'll challenge you with, is that we need to be living out this through the roof faith. Let's live it out. Amen? Let's live out this through the roof faith. Let, let, let's live out a faith as we see the, the gentleman in the, the text living out and, and begin to understand that, that our faith, your faith matters. Your faith matters. You say, Pastor, I feel weak. My faith doesn't feel very strong. I need to grow in my faith. Absolutely. But your faith matters. It matters in the life of someone else who God has brought into your sphere of influence, and he's calling you to live out the faith that you have to move them closer into a relationship with him. When Jesus looks at you, when he looks at me, does he see our faith? How did he see their faith? I asked myself, how, how did he see their faith? Their faith was visible in what they were doing, right? It was an active faith. Faith without works is dead. It was an active, active faith. On June the 1st of this year, just a week and a half ago or so, I was doing my morning devotion, and I ran across this quote. I wanted to share it with you. It kind of resonated with me. This is Oswald Chambers. I generally read utmost for his highest every day. And this was the quote. The degree of hopelessness I have for others comes from never realizing that God has done anything for me. I want you to think about what God's done for you. 
Chambers' argument is we feel hopeless for those around us in regard to faith. It's because we fail to realize what God's done in us. When we realize what God's done in us, we understand that He can do that in others, right? And there's no hopelessness in that faith. Who in your world, who in your world needs you to be convinced that Jesus is who He says He is? Who in your world needs a caring faith? I mean, just compassionately care and and reach out. A caring faith is a caring faith, right? A caring faith carries others to Jesus. Who, who in your world needs that creative faith? You're like, maybe you're in a spiritual conversation with someone, you're not connecting, and like, oh, how can I creatively communicate Jesus to this person, right? Be creative, be determined, right? And then a courageous faith. Right? That's what I see in these guys, this, this courageous, risk-taking, public, we're at Peter's house, this thing is blowing up, and we're going for it kind of faith. H. David Burton said this, Live in such a way that those who know you but don't know Christ will come to know Christ because of you. Say that again. Let's live in such a way, those in our lives, those people, those friends, those, those relatives who do not know Jesus will come to know Jesus because we know Jesus. Our faith, right, our faith facilitates the work of Jesus in others, in others. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time together. I pray as we leave and we think about through the roof. We see four men that we do not know their name. We know very little about them. And we see another man who's been carried on a mat to Jesus. What we see is Jesus commending, seeing, recognizing their faith. Jesus doesn't mention the crowd. He doesn't mention the religious leaders. But he intentionally points out the faith of the four men. It's somewhat of a disruptive, destructive faith. And Father, it was their faith that prompted Jesus to speak into a man's life the forgiveness of sin. And then the restoration of his physical well-being, Father. It was their faith. Let me ask you in the room tonight, who in your world could you help move closer to Jesus? Who? I want you to maybe think about a name, think about a face, think about a friend. Think about a coworker. Does Jesus see your faith? And I want you to understand that your faith, again, it may be weak, it may be feeble, it may be inconsistent, 
But God will use your faith to facilitate the work of redemption, healing, restoration in the lives of others. I pray this week that you will step out fully convinced, caring, creative, and courageous in your faith. In the name of Jesus, I pray this. Amen. I want to close tonight. I want to ask you to stand. I want to close with a blessing. At the conclusion of the blessing, uh, you'll be dismissed. Would you stand, please? The blessing is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. We pray you allow this message to transform you to take what you learned and share the love of Jesus to those around you. You can stay informed and connected by following Discovery Point Church on all social media platforms. Thank you and God bless you.